Taylor's Intersection was a chance for me to have a medium where people could talk about the intersection of money and meaning. I've been in sales 16 plus years and I know for the most part it's binary. One, zero, one, zero, one, zero. If you bring in enough money, then you're a good person. If you don't, you're not so much of a good person. The sales world is binary and missing something important that goes beyond meeting quotas. This is how to prevent selling your soul and wasting valuable years of life. But sales can be more than just a money grab. It can be meaningful and enjoyable. And those who can better explain this meaning are not your cookie cutter by the sales book vanilla people. They're my guests. And hope you enjoy the first season. More to come in the second and seasons beyond. Um, these are colorful people and they discuss how they derive fulfillment, meaning, enjoyment, and also what they're bringing to the positive evolution of sales. And it continues to be wonderful. I'm a little weathered, I, uh, but excited to have you here, Steve. And um, I love your energy, and I love that you just uh, you just took it to video, um, so I get to see your your snippets every day. Um, so a little introduction for. Well, do you want? Are we are we rolling now or what? Yeah, we're rolling now. Let's roll it, baby. Okay, right, let's roll. Let's do it. Um, so a little introduction for my audience, sales intersection audience. Uh, Steve is the co-founder of ExecVision, um, joining me today in uh, 2015. You started ExecVision and uh, your co-founder, David Stillman, created the solution. Um, and it's a, it's a platform, right, built to turn the, the gold mine of customer conversations, conversations into actionable insights that drive behavior change and positively impact business outcomes, mostly addressing the insights to performance gap or how insights transform a rep's performance or lack thereof, if only using artificial intelligence or software alone. Is that, is that about right? Yeah. Look at you. You want a job you got it. You nailed it. Yeah. I'll I'll translate that into English. Here's what it is. People have a lot. Most people record most customer facing conversations these days. It doesn't matter if it's a Zoom like we're on, if it's an unscheduled call and a dialing technology like a dial source, a sales loft and outreach, that kind of thing. Um, so most people record, but then they, they do very little, if anything, with the recordings. And you think about it, there's like all kinds of information, uh, intelligence in those calls. And then there's also coaching opportunities or coachable moments for those reps. And, uh, and they just, coachable moments are like shooting stars. They just kind of, they come and they go, they disappear. So the whole thing about the, the performance gap is most sales leaders that we talk to and managers, they know where their teams need to improve. They have a pretty good sense. And if they have analytics, conversation analytics, they have even more. But what they don't have is a way to get them there. So how do I actually then get my rep who is lousy at discovery to then be good at discovery? How you take that person through that change management process and then actually measure the coaching to see if it's working. That's what we mean by insights to performance gap. I'm just sort of Translate marketing speak. <laughs> Let's take a gong, for example. Right? We're, we're, we're right right there with the gong. That's our arch rival. You nailed it. Yeah. So I, I bet a speed bump would be convincing the manager that you can do a better job uh, coaching, <laughs> coaching the team or, or taking the insights 
and transforming those into actionable insights. That, it's funny you bring that up. So tons of people use Gong, right? Um, and what we're starting to see is a lot of people who are using Gong, you come back to them and you say, hey, what are you doing? Now that you have some data about what's happening in your conversations and your sales calls, what are you doing with that data? And then most of them go, nothing. Some of them report on it to the board. You know, people like looking at pictures, but then you say, okay, great. Now, how are you taking that data and using it to help your reps get better? And for the most part, we start hearing things like, well, I actually use Google Sheets for that. Yeah. I, 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 I have a process for managing that that's, you know, analog. <laughs> in some cases on paper. Yeah. So, so, so what we're getting at here is like when it comes to getting your reps better, how do you change the performance and the behavior of the reps so that they follow your behavioral framework? That's what we do. That's what's different about us and Gong. We're right in the same category though. And I've, I've, I've seen a video, I forget what, what it was, but you say what really irks you is there's a manager that comes in, he's there, he or she is there for two or three years. They, they have a methodology going, they're, they're out, a new one comes in and they're supposed to learn a different, you know, go from Buddhist to Catholic, I think is what you said. Is, but isn't that a little bit of what you do? You come in? You no, 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 no. Actually, to the contrary. So what, you know, I've always abided by the principle and I, I really actually got this from Bob Perkins, who of course gets it from Stephen Covey, I believe, the uh, Seven Habits. First seek to understand, then be understood. So the first thing that I want to do, it's just like the doctors with the uh, Hippocratic Oath, first do no harm. First thing when we're working with a customer is we look at what they're doing today and we find out what's working and we document it. What's the tribal knowledge that's on the floor right now? Because a lot of times they haven't documented it. And when we document it, we actually document it in the form of scorecards, call, review sheets in the exec vision software. So now their sales process is translated into and I heard, I heard you say that um, one thing that I, I, I feel like I, I didn't quite agree with was, I mean, I, you know, there's a different sales methodology every week, right? There's a different flavor each week. Um, and, you know, I, I think for me, it's like, first of all, you don't want to sound like you just came out of a sales training, uh, you know, a sales trainer, everyone's talking about what keeps you up at night, you know, <laughs> something like that, right? Yeah. Um, I think I think you need to know them all and know how to pivot and know which, which one to use. I saw your your ten uh, book, ten best sales books ever. You know that yeah. you've read that that affected you most. And for me, the one that stuck out most is is the psychology of sales. Uh, technology changes quickly. Uh, you know the work culture changes quickly, as we've seen here in the pandemic. Everyone's remote, but the psychology of people doesn't change, you know? Um, so well you got to know those methodologies a little bit, uh, but uh, you know, you gotta, you gotta go into, you go into a room um, of now it's what 5.4 people on average making the decision. Yeah. Lately, know how to CB now they spun off that research and I think it's part of challengers research, but it, who knows it might be part of Gartner, but I think it's now 6.3, but it depends. Look, it depends on what you're selling and who you're selling to. I had a customer on the phone, this week and they have on average two and they mean it. There are two. It's the controller and the CFO. That's pretty much it. I kind of illustrated, you know, look, sometimes the economic buyer, the economic buyer is the, the is I define it the Miller Hyman way. It's the senior most person who can sign. They can say no, but they can't say, or sorry, they can, they have to approve the, the funding. So they have to approve a releasing the money, the senior most person that approves releasing the money. I had, I made an argument that, look, I think at a lot of these companies, your CEO or your chairman, or chairwoman is 
the economic buyer, not the CFO. And they kind of agreed. They didn't really thought of that. But then for others, like, like you're saying, it's like 20. I mean, look, a lot of times when we sell exec vision, we got information security people to deal with. Sometimes HR comes in because they're worried about call reporting. Uh, we got, we got the privacy people, we got the Salesforce admin, we got the sales managers. We got the, sometimes there's a, a rep who believe it or not is a highly influential member of the buying group. So anyway, I didn't mean to interrupt, but to clarify, it depends, but, but keep going. You're right. Yeah. And, and, and given the, the, the dark funnel, right. That, that a lot of these people are going, what, 60, 70% uh, of the sales process, the evaluation process without reaching out to the sales team, those influencers have already influenced. Um, and you know, uh, you know, 10, 15 years ago, I was being taught the most important part of the sales process is, just, is discovery, right? And, and now if they're reaching out to me 70% of the time, you know, there's a lot of account-based marketing companies that say they can get them at 15% or something like that, but um, discovery has already been kind of done. So what, what do you, Mike, uh, you know, I wanted to ask you, how do you coach or what do you say to that, 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 that you know, how does that change the discovery strategy given that they feel like they've already done the discovery you know yeah yeah and that's the thing um the best salespeople can get the buying group which in the challenger customer they talk about the dysfunctional buying group i love that term dysfunctional buyer group that is so perfect i've learned more about my my selling i've learned more about sales by, by watching our companies that i founded buy things and it's messed up it's like a dysfunctional family it really is <laughs> i love that dysfunctional buyer group the, 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 the sales rep that gets the dysfunctional buyer group to agree on what they're trying to fix, accomplish, or avoid, and then the definition of success, and then the evaluation criteria is the one that wins. Now, your point is, well, wait a minute, the buyers are racing ahead, they're evaluating options. Again, it depends on what you're selling and who you're selling to. Let's pretend for a minute you're selling like a $20,000, $100,000 solution, tech, and or something else, which is a, a lot of people. You got to get the buyer to slow down. You got to back the buyer up, but can you get on that call and just start doing discovery? In many cases, you can't, because if you just jump in there and try to start doing discovery, they don't want the 21 questions. Yeah. I've already, we've already been down that path. So I talked about this with um, my friend, Joe Caprio. He, funny enough, used to work at Chorus, one of our other competitors at Exec Vision. He was their VP of sales. He's now at a company called Reprise, uh, or Reprise, you might say. And, um, and we talked about that challenge of what, what is it first? It's chicken and egg. You do discovery first, you do demo first. And the solution that I love comes from Richard Harris. This is my favorite. I think I did a video tip on this. Richard Harris, he says in the beginning, hey, Eric, we can do this one of two ways. One is I got some questions for you and then I can tailor the demo, make it a better use of your time. Two, I'm sure you might wanna just see what we're up to first. You wanna just take a look at what we're doing first and then we can start the discussion about what you're trying to accomplish or do you mind if I ask you a few questions? And yeah. you let the buyer choose. Um, you need to know the product. You need to know when to shut up. You need to know, you know how to deal with the analytics per person, the, the sales guy, the marketing person, the CFO, right? Um, all, all of them. So um, it's a lot tougher work than, you, than you think, especially in that situation. You know, um, when it, being known, pushing back might, might do you uh, some good. Um, I wanted to, I, I had some, uh, some experience in the, in the channel sales uh, arena. Actually, I had uh, Jay McBain is, is one of my guests, the uh, principal for, um, analyst over at Forrester, um, who's, who just, you know, he's like, 
Goodwill Hunting man on on uh, on 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 channel, you know the channel. Yeah, he's he's the old um, I think Serious Decisions analyst, and then Forrest acquired them. I think. Yeah. That's yeah, great. I like Jay. I know Jay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, great guy. Yeah. And by the um, way, I'm not going to try to out Jay Jay when it comes to channel. I I know where my limitations are. <laughs> oh man. He's, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, great great guest. Yeah. If you if you want to know something about channel, he's the guy to ask. But channel sales, it seems like I haven't seen much written by by you guys at Exec Vision about channel sales, and it seems like a great opportunity because they're so disconnected from the vendor um, that they you know the vendor they're like first they want to give them incentive to sell their product over a competitor's product um, they want them to have the the latest most relevant messaging uh, the most effective um, messaging so they can have the most effective conversations um, and to do that globally you know we're talking about Toshiba or Dell or Cisco you know it, it, most most of the sales globally are inside sales 65 percent or something like that are you know inside sales have so have you guys thought about uh working the channel or is that just kind of it's a great it's a great question it's a great question so we we do um do we have any i'm trying to remember if we have any channel companies like the cdws or insights as customers i don't think we do yet although we have a lot of outsourcing companies um but we have a lot of customers that sell through channel partners and they have large inside sales organizations that previously were in like you know the same location before coronavirus, now they all work from home. And um, you know, the thing that I find about channel, you've also inspired next week, I'm gonna do a couple of tip of the days on uh, channel sales. So thanks for that, Eric. Uh, uh -huh. the, the, thing, the thing that I find about channel is a couple things. So one, if you work for the OEM, for the, the, the maker of the technology, which is then sold through the VARs, the value added resellers or other channel partners. So you're not selling directly anymore. And it's very difficult because you lose control of the narrative. You can't do some of this, the basics of, of sales, you know, blocking and tackling of sales process and aligning to the buyer, it's hard. So there's a couple things. The first thing is um, give a lead to get a lead. That business is highly predicated on, I find two things. One, just simply the cost of your solution and your capabilities relative to your competitor. And as an average sales rep, you don't have a whole lot of, you can't really pull that lever. It's like, it's not like you can say, oh yeah, we're going to give you guys an even bigger discount because those, those channel uh, prices are pre-negotiated. And then what are called the um, MDS or the market direct funds in many cases are pre-negotiated or the rebates and the things like that. Yeah. So the average sales rep can't do a whole lot there except for try to go to bat for the channel partner. Yeah. Uh, the other thing a channel salesperson can do is give a lead to get a lead, which is just the ultimate for yeah. me. Now that because it's a relationship thing, that's the second one. So it's, it's price driven and solution driven, and then it's a relationship thing. And the yeah. reality is if your widget and Dell's widget, I'm making this up, HPEs and Dell's are roughly the same and you know, not really all that different, their storage, whatever, then which one is the channel partner gonna go with? They're gonna go with the one that either is the easiest for them to sell to the end user customer because it's the right combination of price and everything, the one that makes them the most money or the one that they have the better relationship with the rep. For time, I, I, I have a lot of you know different questions, and I'm I'm extremely curious your answers here. Um, but you know, it, the, a lot of my guests, I can't imagine them being in any other uh, you know in, uh, any other field than sales. You know, Jay McBain, Larry Levine, uh, Dale Dupree, um, all these all these folks, Morgan Ingram. Um, 
was there ever a time that you had a it was a was there a close second for a career that that you could uh, or, or was it always sales well i'll give you something funny um it's i think i've talked about this on a lot before but i was going to be in uh, i was going to be an investment banker couldn't get a job so the only reason i'm in sales at all is i couldn't get a job and everyone i went to undergrad with got a job uh my backup plan of sales didn't work out which I, I came to love at first i was failing but then through testing and measurement i came to love it and, and seeing what was working and applying um uh i was going to go work for my family business which is in septic tanks believe it or not like precast concrete products and here's another little factoid that no one's ever heard. I don't think I've ever said this on a, a webinar or podcast. I, um, uh, I, I applied for Teach for America. I was, I was interested in that for a while. And I got shot, I got shot down. I didn't even get an interview for, for Teach for America. And I think this is, I'm, I'm Catholic, right? So that's just who I am. I think it's God's way of sort of saying you're supposed to be in sales because I love it. I mean, yeah. now in retrospect, I would have been a lousy investment banker. I would have been a lousy teacher. Like I'm where I'm supposed to be. But yeah. how the hell do you know that as a college grad with sixty thousand in school loans? I, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Well, you can, yeah, you can tell. I mean, you, you got the energy for it. Uh, that's that's that's. So just a couple more questions. I'm gonna, so I'm going to turn that around on you. Um, what do you think is is most controversial or arguable that you bring to the sales world that people are are like? You know, that's one thing I just don't. You know, I don't agree with Steve on. Uh, something that we don't do that people would disagree with me on. Um, that you do do. Uh, oh, that we do do. But people say, I'll give you one. I'll give you one that some people might not necessarily like, but it works. We have people on LinkedIn as me that send messages as me. We've tested it. The effectiveness of sending the same exact message when it comes from me versus sending it as somebody else on LinkedIn is dramatically different. Yeah. I don't have time to sit there and send messages on LinkedIn all day. Yeah. I don't want to use one of those automated solutions that just pumps out spam because we yeah. know that doesn't work either. So sometimes when you're on LinkedIn and you message me, it's me. And sometimes it's not. That but is you in the, in the video. If it's important. It gets back to me. And I, and I, and I do, I do look at it sometimes. Yeah. So, yeah. so people um, might say, Oh, that's unethical. That's not actually you. It's not a bot or anything. It's not like it's a, yeah. Well, you can't be in a hundred places at the same time, you know, and you're busy. Um, so last question, you know, what, if it, you know, I, I, I had a bit of a script today, but what, what would you, uh, if you're leading uh, a, a podcast or you had the say of what we talked about today, what would, what's, what's fascinating to you today? What, what excites you in the sales world? What's, what's, excites me in the sales world. Let's think about that. Um, boy, I'd like to see what, what, what role VR would play. Um, obviously AI is the easy answer. Um, but I don't, I'm not buying as much as other people are. I'm buying the AR can AI can sell, um, the cheap inexpensive stuff. I, I am not buying the AI is going to do enterprise sales and the kind of, you know, they can, it can probably do pieces. I, I love the idea of, especially if we're in a more of a socially distanced world in the future of VR or, and, and other methods for, you know, what's the next way for people to really feel like they're, they're near each other when they're not. I saw some really cool technology. I'll shout them out from this company called, um, uh, what, what the hell are they called? They're called uh, uh, GDS. They were like a global events company. So they used to put on these in-person events where you'd have like a room full of chief sales officers and we would pay to go be in the room. And, um, you know, really virtual conferences, let's just call it space based or suck. Um, but they, they are leveraging this incredible technology by this, uh, 
this company in Europe called Faber, F-A-B-E-R, that I'll, I'll send here so you can put it into the show notes. I'll put it yeah. in the chat. That is, almost makes your participants in a virtual event feel like they're in the event. I think there's a lot of stuff like that. That's, that's exciting for me. As opposed to just having the data. Yeah. Well, hey, Steve, I really appreciate you being on the show today. Is there anything you want to uh, promote or um, tell? Connect, connect with me on LinkedIn. I got these one-minute tips. They're video tips. They're totally free. I do them. They're real. They're all me. Uh, yeah. I've and seen actually, it. you know where that comes from is we had someone before that was a marketer on our marketing team that used to be logged in as me, posting as me, and she was better, than, better at being me than me. And then our, our, our marketing director said, Steve, you got to take over your own social media. And I'm like, how the hell am I going to do that? And I said, the only, it was necessity is the mother of invention. The only time I have to do it is when I'm running in the morning. So every morning yeah. when I go running, I stop because my brain is working when I'm running. It's just kind of oxygenated. I, I think of something, I stop, I pull out the camera, I do it. I mean, that's yeah. mostly what happens. I think it's effective because it's natural. You're, you know, it's not like you're like sitting in, with a blazer on and, and a, you know, in your family room. Uh, so I, I always get a kick out of it. And I, and I think, I think that I uh, get a lot of value from. So, um, so what I'll do is I'm going to, I'm going to do a final cut. Cause I, I realize I'm, you know, there's a lot of noise out there. So no one's going to watch a 30 minute uh, podcast. So I do kind of a highlight reel. It'll be about 10 minutes. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll send to you before, um, I, I put it on social. Feel free to 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 uh, promote it as well. Oh yeah, I'll uh, definitely. As soon as you put it out, put me on it. I'll 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 post. Oh great. Okay. Well, yeah. really, I really enjoyed the conversation today, Steve. And uh, hopefully, you know, we'll we'll cross the paths. Yeah. Again. And Eric, actually, something that's important to know. You can even put this in the show. Um, yeah. So when you go on LinkedIn, yeah, it used to be that it was better to have one post and then have everybody share the same post. LinkedIn changed their algorithm it's actually better to have one post that people comment on and everything and you pump that up. So if you do a post and I do a post and if they're separate, it actually performs better. It'll get way more views. If I just take your post and share it, it gets piddly. It gets like a few hundred. If I do a direct post, it usually gets oh, perfect. One, one to 10,000. Okay. So just, you should know that about the LinkedIn algorithm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'll have it to you probably Friday or Monday. Sounds good, man. Take care. All right. Take care. Okay, bye.